Radio TRO is in search of sponsors. Sponsors get a detailed product mention at the beginning of every episode in our catalog. You can submit your own advertisement or we can read one for you. Visit email.tro.bike and contact us directly to learn more. Hey folks, Maggie Dean here, just reaching out to tell you about a couple of great tours we have coming up. One is for the newbies and the other for the seasoned curve carvers. If you're new to motorcycle touring, check out the LMCT, Lake Michigan Circle Tour, which takes place from Sunday, July 14th to Saturday, July 20th. It's a beginner-friendly scenic bike tour around Lake Michigan with all the planning and organizing done for you. It's ideal for couples, three-wheel riders, and small groups. It offers a balanced mix of fun curves, beautiful scenery, and rest stops. If you've always wanted to go on a small group motorcycle tour but have yet to do so, this tour is for you. And for all you rabid twisty travelers, check out TRO's Wisco Disco Tour. Based in Wisconsin, this tour is perfect for experienced riders visiting as much of the Driftless area as possible over three days. Our well-vetted routes are pre-planned, so just take the time off and join us. It's a great opportunity to ride in an intimate setting away from the solo digital world. Tiro's Wisco Disco Tour launches Wednesday, August 7th, and concludes Sunday, August 11th. Again, that's two tours approaching. Visit tiro.bike, mouse over events, and select group tours to learn more. Hello, everybody. This is Travis Burleson. I'm Robin Dean. And this is the RidingObsession.com podcast. See tune up. How was your week? It's uh, been a long time, man. Yeah, it's been more than a week. Yeah, I was say I went to IndyCar races. That was fun. Um, a couple weekends ago, up in Elkhart Lake at Road America, America's National Park of Speed, or whatever the slogan is. <laughs> um, but it was cool. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they have record numbers. They expanded their camping, expanded their parking. Hundred and seventy thousand tickets sold for the weekend. I think one hundred and seventy thousand tickets sold. That's crazy. Yep. So it's um. That was a good time. Um, camping, watching cars go around fast. I think next year I'm going to skip IndyCar and go to AMA Superbikes, though. Yeah, and I know I've asked a couple of times. You had given me prospect dates. I need to look that information up so I have it for sure. Maybe we could document it for the site. Um, yeah, I think it's more up to AMA and Road America as to when we have that. I don't think they're published yet. Nice. What else? Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot on the motorcycle front. I got uh, our buddy Kevin's bike up and running pretty well um mm-hmm. i think we still need to tweak the the you know he bought it because he bought off his buddy because it crashed and so his buddy crashed and said hmm you want to buy this yes um and so the front end the 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 brag the fork brace on it that sits on the those on the bmw there's like a built-in fork brace from the factory that bolts on to uh the bottom part of the fork assembly underneath the fender Sure. And that was tweaked, and it's causing, like, the forks to be kind of misaligned, I think. Like, it feels, okay. it kind of drives a little crooked, like the handlebars are bent. Um, but they're not. So we got to do that at some point here. But otherwise, it, it's running well, and he seems to like it. So. so it's a scoliosis machine. That's good. I mean, I know the man's been without a bike for a hot minute. Yeah. Glad that he's got one again. So um, 
Yeah, you know, first thing you want to do when you get a bike is start changing crap on it. So cool. What else? Anything? Uh, no, all of my bikes are pretty much running right, which is weird. <laughs> Not um, the first for everything. Yeah, it's like I don't have like anything to work on. Heck, your your bikes are running, and now my bikes are running well because you you know redlined the Hawk GT and kicked out all that carbon. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think it feels great now. Um, so my wife and I we both took the advanced rider course together, and Ms. Dean. My beloved wife, quite the talent on two wheels, I have to say. I'm really proud of her. She uh, was just talent-wise doing laps around all those cruiser guys, just really kicking the daylights out of it. All the chin over wrist and uh, emergency braking techniques, she really she got it solid. So we had a lot of fun doing that. And um, as you know, I finally worked up enough gumption to check my own valves without having a, quote, committee, unquote, you know, people on hand to sort of validate my effort. Had a few hiccups, but, you know, I stayed patient. That's a big deal when you're doing something that complicated. And my Bandit S, which is fared, it takes a little while to prepare due to all the plastics and components that are seemingly hard to access, but I managed to get it done. So I feel like I've graduated, taking a little bit of pride in that one. Uh, also installed that LED H4 bulb you recommended on our Hawk GT, and I'm impressed with it. Uh, it's bright enough to give me a tan. Yeah, no, it's, it's the one I linked you to, the like the kind of overstock one off of Amazon. The very same. Now, when you installed that, did you use the spring? Yeah, like I just use, it comes with like a little adapter plate so it can fit different sort of uh, fitments, right? And then you just put on the correct adapter plate and then you just clip it in like you do your normal bulb. You can do that, but there's also a spring in case there's any kind of a loose fit. So like I don't have any, uh, there aren't any little pockets where you twist the bulb into place. It just rests there. So you use the spring over top of that and it compresses it in place. Oh, see, on, on my, the way it, um, the spring is built into the headlight assembly, so there's like a little spring sort of latch that clips the the bulb in. Nice. That was part of the the way that the way it holds the regular one in. So what about what about riding this year? You know, like my wife and I, we uh, did a lot so far. We've been across Tennessee via Memphis, Nashville, Chattanooga, and Knoxville, and we'll be riding about that soon for the site. I'm looking forward to that. We're considering maybe getting some land down south so that we don't have to worry about these Chicago winters, these soul sucking <laughs> winter. I can't even say the word. <laughs> Uh, no, not too much. Um, I finally took out uh, the DRZ, like out into the driftless, um, which is weird at first because I'm not as comfortable on that bike. And as soon as I figured out how to corner the dirt bike in a dirt bike style and not in a sport bike style, like you can't really lean like, you know, chin over wrist style. You got to throw the bike down underneath you. Yeah, you got to shovel it. Yeah. And um, but then it, then it's great because too, like, like lines you wouldn't dare do on a, on a sport bike. <laughs> Like, oh, clip the apex of that where the, the, the road's just crumbling into the shoulder and it's like just chunks of asphalt, not piece, uh, one piece of asphalt. Yeah, yeah. the DRZ, you just go through it and it's fine. It just, <laughs> no it, it just hooks that and berms into it and you pop out the other side of the corner. It's awesome. I'm, I'm glad I got the pleasure of riding that bike. That's a fun bike, man. It, I feel so tall and I feel like, feel like a big person. <laughs> um, we also managed, I went to Brown Canyon, Indiana. I managed to document that route as well. I've been there twice now. I forgot this year. I, I just wrote the article about how good those roads are. They are amazing. And if you know a local there, all the better. Riding through Brown County, Indiana, or any of the local towns outside of it with somebody who knows those roads or frequents them regularly is just icing on the cake, man. Amazing. Yep. What, oh, I, uh, I did get to ride the uh, the brown cow. The brown cow. What is that? Support us. 1985, 86 Honda Goldwing <laughs> Aspencade. Yeah, it's 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 well, it's it's a Goldwing. 
in support his words, you were surprised at how weightless it became once it began no, moving. You know, in your, it's, I was doing like 45, 50 down like, um, you know, the highway. And it's like, if you go just like direct handlebar inputs and not kind of think about leaning your weight, like it's, mm-hmm. it's almost twitchy. Like it's weird. So if you steer the bike, it actually is responsive. Yeah, no, and it's and everything on it's real light. Like all your inputs are very soft. But maybe that's just the age of the bike. I don't know. Nice. Are there any controls that you use with your feet that actually operate things like lights? Is it that that no. that left foot light bright option? To the- <laughs> Though you do have to use both brakes all the time. If you want, sure. If you want all of the front brake, you have to use your foot. Okay. Oh, so it actually combines. It's got uh, linked it's, braking. It's got this weird, yeah, linked braking. Where if you just use your right hand, you're not going to get all of the front brake. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's cool. I mean, that's not necessarily the worst system in the world. It's I always use all brakes all the time, anyhow. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it's uh, I always had a hard time getting my foot. My foot kept getting caught on the engine guard and the head because you know the engine sticks out the side of it. Yeah. Um. But that no, was fun. Yeah. It was uh, it was a good time, and I actually I was I let uh, John and I swapped, and he rode the big one through some twisty roads. What did he think of that? He, he was all smiles. <laughs> you know, he just rode with us through from let's see, it was New Glarus to Soldiers Grove, and seemed to have a good time there. I haven't yeah. really written much about well, you and I got to do that route. It's amazing. I, though I mean, I know he was kind of maybe taking it easy, but I had no. Oh, yeah, I had, he was on the much faster bike when he was on the big one. I had no problem sure. keeping up with him on the Goldwing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to take this opportunity real quick and discuss some updated site features and developments. Um, an update to the WordPress architecture temporarily broke our page-by-page site navigation scheme, as well as the pre-filtered motorcycle sale listing that's been fixed. Um, because we're looking to lead affordable motorcycle tours, I plan on building a right-side widget with information regarding whatever tour is coming up next in the calendar, complete with a sign-up-now button. So look for that if you live local to the Midwest and let's see if we can't get a group of us together and help the site make some money and save up some scratch and make things better. And now on to off-the-bike topics, wrenching, reading, leisure, the like. Margaret and I had our first free weekend this past week. We went on a Daredevil Bender, the TV show on Netflix. It's a great show. Mindless fun, that type of thing. What about you? What's new outside of riding or wrenching? Um, well, I mean, I guess, you know, the IndyCar races, um, yeah. which is really... Uh, Part of that weekend was also the Pirelli World Championship Series, which is touring cars. Oh, nice! And uh, the lowest class of that, the like the TC, the touring car class, is like really the most fun to watch because like the lowest. Yeah, in that you have like TC, TCA, and TCB, and TCB uh-huh. is like Honda Fits and Honda Civics and <laughs> Chevy okay. Sonics and Mazda Twos, and it's just like really cool to watch them like rip around this racetrack, these little front wheel drive cars. Now, did you, are they heavily modified or anything like that? Yeah, I mean they're set up to be race cars, so you know the interiors are gutted and they got a roll cage and they got the you know they don't have any side windows or anything. So, is there a rule that the car can be like weight can be removed, but not too many modifications can be put into them, or how's that work? Yeah, I mean there's a pages and pages of regulations, you know, for that <laughs> sort of stuff, um, as is most racing. Um, Only Kellogg's cereal. Yeah, but it was cool. It was neat because uh, the other. Um, there were, and then like the upper part of that group, so you have like the three classes all race in one group. Um, nice. Like the faster cars were usually MX-5s, Mazda Miatas, like MX-5s. Sure. Uh, which are rear-wheel drive. And then the we're, big um, V6 Honda Accord coupes, which are front Okay, and where does that put the Ford Focus? So the, the MX-5s were like the TC, like the top for that group. 
mm-hmm. um, along with like some of the modified accords. There might have been a focus or two in the TCA group, and then TCB was like the really small stuff. So it was like Ford Fiestas, yeah, and, nice um, Chevy Sonics and Mazda twos. Um, but it was really neat to watch. Um, if you're familiar with the racetrack, I was sitting on the outside entrance of turn eight, um, which is like a right angle left hander right before it goes into the carousel. And mm-hmm. the, the front wheel drive cars, like the Accord, take a way different line than, oh, the, re- than the rear wheel drive cars do. Yeah, understeer, um, right? And every now and again, you'd see a Honda Accord follow a Mazda MX-5 into the corner, like get um, target focused mm-hmm. and follow the MX-5's line and not take the, oh. <laughs> and not take the front wheel drive. And then they just they'd push right through the corner and go way wide. Yeah, because like the the front wheel drive cars would have to come in on the outside, start turning kind of wait, you know, like start turning into the corner and then the car would catch and go around the corner. Right, and there are no all-wheel drive cars in that class, right? No, there was one Lotus, but I think that was rear-wheel drive. I saw him go off in eight. That was pretty fun. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, you know, I noticed you were also reading Zen and the Art of. We don't have to go there again. At least got through it, you know? I, I'm, like, well, I'm, um, I still haven't finished it. <laughs> I, I, I took a big... I, there got, I got maybe 80 pages left. Yeah. Um, They're like in California and he's... Just about summed up whatever he's trying to say. I don't. Hey, you know, good things only, man. Like we're writing, we're reading a really good book called Pirate Hunters. It's actually <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's about shipwreck addicts. You know, these guys oh, literally it? seek it's out like treasure. Non-fiction. It's nonfiction. Okay. It's nonfiction. It's uh, uh, this guy literally seeks out treasure in open seas and the drama. You can't make that up. Oh, it's yeah. so I- bad. Just crazy. But yeah, much more interesting if you're not into something such as an excellent book like Zen and the Art of. That's 90% heavy philosophy of why, why I used to think this, but then I think this. And here's the here's five pages on why I went from this to this. You got to say it like it's a question though, all the time. And that's why I went from this to this? To this? <laughs> and then I wrote five pages? Did you though? Did you? Why? And in the process, I learned that it's not like this? <laughs> All right, on to site-inspired topics from written articles and a mid-show sponsorship in- uh, message. Again, this episode of the Riding Obsession podcast is brought to you by the Scrava Wash Bag. It's a collapsible ra- laundry system that not only works, but takes up less space than a single pair of socks. Its interior is made up of a soft rubber node that massages away oil, dirt, and grit. It's a sensibly conceived durable solution that I'll be taking with me on every trip from here on out. Learn more at thescrava.com. Aussies. Oi. So, so, listener questions. I've got a couple here for the first time, and they're kind of dated. They're from some time ago. One is from Ryan Chappelle, who asked me, having ridden both, how would I compare the SV650 to the Bandit 1200? Yeah, it's a different bike, that's, different motor. That's like lemons. I mean, maybe compared to a Bandit 600. Maybe. But at the same time, if I, if I abandon certain things about the behavior of the bike and the posture... It's like being a twin and half the displacement. The SV650 is growlier in general. It's got bigger expression of torque at the lower speeds. Yeah. That, is, that isn't to say it has more what, torque. 150 pounds lighter. <laughs> it's 150 pounds lighter. And, you know, the Bandit, it outruns and outtorques it on all fronts. But the feel of the SV650 is kind of its own thing. The profile being smaller, feels more nimble than the Bandit within those torque boundaries. Um, that's the that's the most comparable difference. The length of your SUV, as opposed to a Bandit, is more stout, so it's more responsive and twitchier in the turns. Bandit, however, it's every bit as capable in the same turns at speed, but the difference is you have to like throw your body around more intensely to pull it off. Um, I was gonna say this comparison, in my view, 
it can't be expressed without consideration for the fact that I've converted my bandit to sport touring. So in its default profile, the bandit's significantly more angry. It's a sport bike, albeit with standard position superbike bars. Yeah. Well, the um, as far as bikes you've ridden and own, the the direct comparison for an SV650 is your Hawk GT yes. NT650, yes. which, which is I believe a to be the inspiration. V-twin also. <laughs> yeah, and I love that bike. I mean, the Bandit can do anything the SV can, but in some instances, it takes more of right or work to do so than the SV. It's more of a local commuter. You yeah. know, it's yeah. gearing is intended for such. And the Bandit is overkill for anything urban. The rider rarely, if ever, gets beyond second gear. The Bandit is, however, worth riding from the burbs into the loop, no question. Yeah, well, I think, too, if, uh, you know, the Bandit 600, whatever, the GSX 600, is that what it, what it was called? Yeah, I think they're doing 650 now. Well, now, yeah, now there's a yeah, but the six that's uh, it's also um, fully fared now. Like it kind of looks like a Jixer at a glance. And I love that. I love that. As long as they would make, you know, dear Suzuki, make your stuff easy to take apart. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the SV's back now, and it's uh, more original cladding of Spartan. So it's not the Gladius or whatever. Yeah, they got rid of a lot of the plastic in the swoopy swoops and just made it more <laughs> like it used to be. 90s jelly. Yeah, so it's a uh, 90s jelly circa 2009 or whatever. All right, well, I'm going to pass this, these next questions, plural, to you. So I'm going to send them. Let me let me get through the questions first, then combine your, your take on it, because I'd be interested in hearing what you had to say on it. A good friend of mine, Don Buren, uh, is regularly having to adjust his chain. He thinks he might need a new one for his 1980-some-odd, uh, maybe it's a 90-something Nighthawk 750. And so he was asking me about you know, what chains do I like? And I personally like to get the latest in reputable new technology, something that people have said, like, this is the way we should go now. So for like the Bandit, I've got an X-Ring chain. I've got the X-Ring chain on the Bandit, which I got to tell you, I'm quite happy with. But I, ever since I even got the Hawk GT, I never changed the chain on it. That's an O-Ring chain. And then the second question he had about it was, uh, to work with a master link or with the riveted permanent, you know, the the chain breaking tool rivet thing, which uh, I've got both of those too. I am completely indifferent to that. I have no preference over master link versus riveted. So, floor is yours. What do you want to say to Don? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, for so he has a like a late 80s, early 90s Nighthawk 750, the like one that looks like the 250 with like the kind of spoopy 90s. Swoop. Yeah, put in put into a big machine. Yeah, yeah, the the seven fifty. Yeah, with it has that the the CB dual red cam in line for yes. um, standard Honda air cooled oil cooled. I think this. Um, I mean, for that bike, I mean, you definitely want to go O ring, um, or you can do an X ring. I mean, the DID X ring chain is kind of a premium product and it has, commands a premium price, so that's something to think about. Um, the uh, I mean, there's a reason you pay that you get what you pay for. I think on that. Because uh, basically what it is, is so when you talk about chain construction and how chains wear, um, what uh, what actually wears on a chain is the holes and the pins. So when you when you talk about chain stretch, right, like you have to like, like as you ride your bike, like your chain, I'm doing air quotes, stretches. And so you, yeah. have, you have to pull the wheel back a little bit to, to Adjustment every, you're not, yeah, a few thousand. You're not stretching the, the, the link the sides of the links, like that, that piece of metal is not getting pulled apart. Like the, 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 the tensile strength on those is, is huge. Like your, your bike's just not that powerful, but what you are doing is where the, the pins join the links together and the holes where the pins get in, get, um, ovated. So you're, 
because every time that that chain bends to go around the sprocket, it's wearing where it's wearing the hole that it sits in, and it's wearing the pin. And if anybody doesn't catch that by ovated, we're talking about the circular form where the pins go in that becomes ovular in shape. Yeah, like an egg. So the um, so the hole the the pin wears down and gets smaller, and the hole wears out and gets bigger. And so you actually get um, that looseness in the chain. Like if you if you take a brand new chain, like a length of brand new chain, and you lay it on a flat surface and you sort of squish squish and pull the chain along its length, it won't move. If you take a worn-out mm. chain and squish and pull it on its length, it will. It'll compress and, and move because the pins are moving inside the links. Very good. So in the end, how do, what's the difference in wear for the X-ring versus the O-ring? Um, well, that's what... So an O-ring, let's talk like O-ring or um, versus non-O-ring. So like a non-O-ring chain, which are super cheap... Um, they don't have, uh, they're, they're just metal. So they're just a basic chain. So you have to keep greasing them to keep grease into where those pins go and minimize the wear of the pin and the, the hole the pin sits in. Um, an O-ring chain uh, has an O-ring around where the pin enters into the link. And what that does is it keeps grease inside that assembly. So like where, where it wears, where the, the pin is moving in the link the O-ring uh, traps the grease in there and keeps it lubricated, so it wears better. And then, the, oh, and then the the X-ring is just what it sounds like. Like instead of being a, a, if you took the ring off, like if you if you pop the rivet and you took the ring off, instead of having, uh, and you cut the ring in half, instead of being round like an O-ring, um, it would uh, it would look like an X in in cross section. And um, the benefits of that is like you have uh, you have two points on each connection of rubber instead of just the one of the you know a circle surrounded on two sides only connect touches on two sides or two points the X ring touches on four points because it's X shaped um, so it just does a better job of keeping dirt out of the the pin and keeping grease in the pin. Good to know. Now I understand. So basically, the compression against those four points is creating a better seal. It's it's. Stopping it from moving any further to allow anything out, which yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, anything I like out, that. Yeah, keeping dirt out and keeping grease in is uh, is what it's doing. So it's um, that's that's the benefit. Um, but they're a little bit harder to manufacture, and so they cost more. Very good, very good. Now, if anybody anybody out there has any questions for us, we are interested in answering them. What we do is we end up researching the information before we respond. If we don't know it already, that is. Email your questions and concerns to podcast at thewritingobsession.com. That's podcast at thewritingobsession.com or call 773-614-6422. Yes. 773-614-6422. Writing Obsession. (laughs) Call today. Boom. All right, so now we're on to route planning. This should get you know pretty interesting here. I don't know how we might want to go about this, but we got the Ozarks trip coming up. Before the Ozarks rally in the Missouri Ozarks, before it even starts, you and I have three days to get there. And after it's done, we have three days to get home. I'm trying to figure out something to do. We got to find some kind of an excellent route. We, I, I think I saw an article on the internet the other day that was like the like top, 25 donut shops in the United States. We should see how many of those we can link together. I like it. You know, we're talking about how we're going to get into shape, meaning any shape possible, then we'll just get into that shape. Pear is a shape. Pear is a shape and, you know, multiple waists, that's a shape. So Lumpy and (laughs) roly-poly a shape, I don't know. If we're not shaped like donuts by the time we get back, we haven't done it right. So I'll tell you what, how about next week we do a special uh, 
time li- un- unlimited time frame podcast where we sit down and the entire podcast is us planning our route down to the Missouri Ozarks. And if anybody wants to help us out with this, Travis is coming from the Madison, Wisconsin area. I'm in Chicago. I don't mind going north first, but we need to get to the Missouri Ozarks, more specifically Farmington, Missouri, in three days' time with as much pleasurable writing as possible. Where do you want us to go? You tell us. What advice do you have? So, uh, fun side note here. I just uh, Google mapped uh, Farmington, Missouri, uh-huh. right? And the like, the street view picture that comes up for Farmington, Missouri on Google Maps is a building called Pro Rehab. <laughs> yeah, the professional rehabilitation for yeah. something. I think it's uh, sports therapy as I'm looking closer, but you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, yeah, due south of St. Louis. So, I mean, I was thinking we do, I don't know how good the road is and you go through like a lot of little towns, like as far as right, at least down or back. I feel like I really want to just do the river road to, to, sure. to have done it. You know, it's more of a more of a cruiser route than a sport bike route. Like the roads are will probably be good in parts, but not necessarily the whole way. Yeah, I get it. Um, Maybe we can improvise some detours that reconnect with it on occasion, just to keep things good. But wanna, who knows? I want to ride there. my motorcycle into the Mississippi River. <laughs> I will say that there's a one section of that road that uh, County Q, which is pretty fast, if I remember right. That should be. A yeah, I mean, fun. there's not, I mean, I'm sure like outside of the Quad Cities and St. Louis um, and maybe Dubuque, there's not really probably a whole lot along the way. We have to invent, which means when we do this podcast, if we decide to go that route and like do a special one, then I'm going to do my own thing. You do your own thing and then we'll compare what we come up with while we're chatting. Yes. I D- like that plan. Darn tootin'. And that's a good way to do route planning with your buddy. Pro tip. Or unless, yeah, I like it. <laughs> So that's going to bring us to this week's new product review. I'm going to hand this one off to Travis because I didn't really look anything up, but I'd like to know, what have you seen on the open market in the world of motorcycling that has caught your eye? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's midsummer, so a lot of the new products aren't really coming out. I feel like a lot of that comes out for the bike shows in the over the winter, like late fall through um, through spring. Sure. Um, I did uh, just pick up a set of like cheap eBay highway pegs to put uh-huh. on the big one that don't really fit over my pre-already-used engine crash bars. Um, <laughs> so, because, well, just use one. Use the left one. Just the yeah, left just one. the left one because the, the, right, the right side has... I mean, I got them on French Craigslist, so, you know, they're a little not straight <laughs> and not round anymore. So I'm uh, messing with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's not a whole lot I've seen that has caught my eyes. I mean, there's been some cool bikes that have come out. Sure. You like, know, what's, uh, what's the, your favorite the, so far? I mean, the, that's new. That count. The new Triumphs. Um, oh, the new Thruxtons? Well, the Thruxton R. Yeah. Um, which you can get the non R version. Um, but uh, yeah, the new Thruxton R and then the Street Twin. But that new 1200 mm-hmm. motor just seems like it's a, a blast. Um, yeah. And then the Street Twin just seems cool. It's like more powerful than the old um, standard motor, the 900cc motor. So, or 900 and change cc motor since it's liquid Do you know cooled. offhand what they changed? Everything. Nice. It's a completely different motor. It's liquid cooled, um, different fuel injection. Uh, I don't know if the twin, I think the street twin still has the 270 crank. I know the Thruxton R has a 270 degree crank, so it's got that. Um, so the, the, like the crank sets the, the connecting pins at 90 degrees apart from each other. Mm-hmm. So instead of like, you know, like a, a, a vertical twin, like the, the pistons can be like opposite each other. Mm-hmm. which is like a little more balancing. So like when one's at the bottom of the stroke, the other's at the top of the stroke, or yep. they can move together. Like when they're both at the top of the stroke, and then they're both at the bottom of the stroke. Like one's one's at compression while the other's at top exhaust, you know? Yep. But with a 270-degree crank, one's like always 
270 degrees behind the other one. So they're mm -hmm. never at the top or the bottom together. So you get this offset firing pattern like a V-twin. Okay, so a little bit of a, a, a diagonal takeoff, diagonal launch. Yeah, so it fires every 270 degrees. It goes pop up, pop up, pop up, pop up, pop up. Oh, okay, so it's got a gallop. Yeah, and that what you get is more torque. That's why you that's get that's cool. That's, well, in the low end or all around, is it linear? Uh, they, yeah, they tune it to be pretty linear from what I've read and uh, seen on like some dyno charts. Um, Man, that's cool. So it's uh, yeah, because that's like with a with a single or a V twin when you get that like power rest, power rest, power rest. That's how you get that that real good torque band. Whereas like on the like the balanced, you know, inline fours, you really have to rev them up. <laughs> Here's a product for you then. I look for. I think I saw a kid riding one of those through Evanston, rich hipster in Evanston area. But here's a new product for you. How about the uh, the hydrographics? <laughs> Get Paisley rims. Oh yeah, the uh, was it? Um, it's like holograms. Like why? Well, yeah, they 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 uh, etch it on a film on water and then press the part into it. Yeah, and then like laser. lift it out. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I don't know. That's that's. I'm not sure I would ever do that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think. And then I keep seeing some more stuff for like the Scully, the like the VR heads-up display helmet, but I've kind of heard mixed things about it. Yeah, that much tech. You know, if there's anything I've discovered by adding new electronics to anything on my bike, it's that eventually that's just another thing that could fail if you haven't done it right. Fortunately, I guess I'm pretty good with that stuff, but having another gizmo that eventually is going to burn out, eh, I don't know, you know. Yeah, and for $1,500. Yeah, it better... It better come with one of those Ducati models. Yeah, and just be the most comfortable, quiet, amazing helmet on the face of the planet, which I don't think it is. Right. You know, it's, it can't fit every head. That's our episode for this round. Tune in next time for more discussion on all things specific to sport touring or universal to motorcycling as a whole. For theridingobsession.com, I'm Robin Dean. I'm Travis Burleson. Safe travels, everyone.